This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Talking Dirty over at East Ruston Old Vicarage. Looking very sophisticated today is Alan Edward Herbert Gray. How the devil are you? The devil in me is very well in actual fact. And over in Cambridgeshire we have Thordis Maria Sophia Friedrichsen. Uh, looking absolutely fabulous with her uh, navy blue jumper scattered with rainbows. Little rainbows uh, to add as much colour as possible to this episode. But I didn't need to try because um, looking marvellous in mustard and with an awful lot of seasonal show and tell is Ian Scott Roof, the plant doctor himself, our Get Gardening co-conspirator. Hello. Hello, team. How are we? <laughs> We're good. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thanks. Very well. Um, good. Yep, nice to be here again. Thanks for having me along. I really appreciate you having me back. Well, we, we wanted to have you back because this is your favourite season. Uh, so we wanted to kind of celebrate that as much as possible. And true to it being your favourite season, look at all of this marvellous plant material that you've brought along for show and tell. Well, I brought some bits. Yeah, I wasn't sure if I was doing show and tell, but I did bring some bits anyway, just in case. So I have brought a few things that... I think are really particularly nice for this time of year as well because we you know we we are slowly reaching the end of autumn and we'll soon be into winter of course so there's a few things that are still performing quite nicely but yeah when you want me to do some show and tell do you let me know no right now bring it on oh, right i now. want to start getting into this wonderful vase of material you've brought ah okay 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 um well i brought some grasses um well, i bought a particular grass and it's lost a bit of its leaf but it's a really lovely miscanthus um, and it's a miscanthus called um, Goliath. And it's growing for me in my very poor soil at mum and dad's at about sort of eight feet. And the reason I bought Goliath was not just for the height. It was because for these lovely seed heads, which are fantastic on all the miscanthus. But also, and I think I've still got some in here, is the amazing autumn colour. Its foliage is just wonderful. It turns fiery pinks and oranges, yellows and um, all sorts of lovely, really hot colours in there. So you get this huge plant and it turns into this, this fiery inferno uh, from now until it collapses to the ground in about a month's time. And it really is a fantastic thing, but yet alone for these seed heads, absolutely lovely. I love the miscanthus as a group of grasses, don't you? And I think it really is so versatile in terms of all its garden uses from low hummocks to actual sort of seasonal hedging almost. I was just going to say there is a delightful little dumpling of a darling, which is dwarf. Um, uh, which I think is called Yakishima Dwarf or something, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Um, which is lovely. And um, but lots of them have that lovely ability to fire up in the autumn, and they go what what I would call sort of flamingo colours, kind of pinks with yes. hints of orange in it, and and you know going out to golds and yellows. But one thing you reminded me of, Ian, just by showing those miscanthus flowers, is the fact that I brought some. I picked some and I brought them indoors and put them in a flower arrangement sometime, well, a few years ago now. And I walked into the room and there's all this sort of fluff everywhere. And I thought, oh my goodness, what on earth is this? Well, it was Miss Panthus um, casting her seeds around in every little piece of draft. And of course, what I suddenly realized is I should have sprayed her with hairspray to set the seed heads. 
That is a real top tip, actually, because I know Ian um, in the past when he's brought plant material in to talk about when we've done radio programmes has then kindly let me take it home. And if you don't do that, you're right. You can find those grass seeds travelling around your house. Um, yeah. yeah. Trying to make your home their home. Uh, you said that was about eight foot tall. How hmm. broad is the clump? Well, it's been in at my uh, my folks' garden for about oh ten years now, and it's no more than about two and a half feet across at the ground. I've never split it, haven't done anything with it, and the soil is not too bad. But I think if Alan was growing it in particular, it'd probably get a lot bigger in all directions because his soil's much richer. But it's just a lovely grass; it really, really is. And I'm a big fan of them at this time of year in particular. And also from our podcast last week with Tamara, where Alan um, kind of threw his favour behind statuesque grasses and made it clear that little wispy, what were they, wispy grasses that look like wigs were not not his favourite. <laughs> An eight foot tall miscanthus is definitely going to be in the uh, appreciated box. <laughs> yeah, I think so. But, but you know, it doesn't mean, that doesn't mean to say that I don't like some of the smaller grasses. Because I think if they use used judiciously and in the right place. I mean, for instance, Festuca glauca and all the little um, blue sacks or whatever they're called, you know, there's lovely little blue grasses. I think probably I've been put off the, put off them by them being used in municipal plantings a little bit. Mm. Um, mm. And I think, you know, that, that if I saw them used in a way that pleases me, I would love them. But, I think um, some of the penicetums are quite nice, aren't they? Some of the, the, the compact penicetums you can get away with, yeah. things like Hamelin and Red Rooster and Black Beauty, which tend to keep really good form, don't they? Yeah, Little Bunny is another one. Yeah, there we are, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad, we, I'm glad we got grasses in there. I always put my, uh, put my hand up and say I'm a big grass fan. Uh, what mm. else have you got in your show and tell? Um, well, I've got something which is going to be putting on fantastic colour through the winter and this is one that you may have had before on here and, and Al knows it. it's a lovely corner it's called Annie's Winter Orange which is just oh, yeah. I think one of the most loveliest of, of corners for the winter but what it is doing now and this is on a plant well three plants at my folks place that I planted which are about sort of three foot in all directions it's going the most wonderful autumn colour and um, what you can't pick out on here as well is that all these end leaves have got lovely hints of pink and orange in them as well. And I do find this time of year so very exciting, as you know, because I think it's that wonderful transition. We've still got things in flower like chrysanthemums, like norinis. Um, we've still got fruits on things like viburnum opulus, calicarpa bodinerae. Uh, and then we've got this wonderful fiery colour that appears as well. And I, you know, in no other sort of season would you get all these colours to work together. I think I said that, but something to do with this autumn light, this autumn into winter light, it just works. And Annie's winter orange, I think, after growing it for five years or more now, I think it surpasses any other cornus on the market in terms of its robustness, its strength of stem, its ability to be hard cut back annually, which I think is nice. And before I grew this, I would have said, well, you know, midwinter fire or midwinter flame, one of the sericea ones, but they can appear to be a little bit weak. And I do wonder if they're still weaker forms that are about on the market. I think that's quite variable. I was listening to Al talk to Val Bourne on a previous one of these about um, Dahlia murkii, And I think there's one or two different strains of this particular cornus midwinter fire, midwinter flame going about as well. And it, it does tend to lack that strength of Annie's winter orange, doesn't it, Al? Annie's winter orange is absolutely superb. If you like, um, if you like midwinter fire and flame and all of those, Annie's winter orange is just like them, but on steroids. And it is a much, much more vigorous plant. 
and I think it looks absolutely stunning. I'm, I, I, I can't get enough of it. I really do think it's lovely, especially at this time of the year, of course, mm. and, then, and going into the winter, it's going to get better. And just a reminder to everybody, if you're planting things, plants, putting in plants with lovely coloured bark or winter stems, try and make sure that they're lit by the low rays of the sun. So if you want them, if your garden faces south, let's say, you want them on the eastern side of your garden. So as the sun comes round, it hits those those stems and lights them up because that's the real benefit of them. That's an excellent point. I did that basically by uh, by chance. I put my cotinus, my smoke bush where the evening sun just catches it and it's uh, it's just yeah. such an extra special effect. Yeah, it does. It makes a deal of difference, actually. I wish it had been planned, but it was just luck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you were being terribly clever. Uh, Ian's been repositioning his show and tell. So I have um, been listening as well, but I just got, I've only got three more things to show you and that's it, just three more. And one of them is, I talked about fruit this time of year, and this is a wonderful sorbus and there's a huge range of rowans for the garden. Um, there, there really are, but this is... Um, Sorbus hufahensis, uh, which has these wonderful, it's not quite picking up on here, but these wonderful rich pink cream and white suffused berries on at the moment, which are in wonderful clusters in abundance and on a tree which has been out in a garden in, in Sal House for about 10 years now and is no more than about two, oh no, so about three to four metres, which is relatively compact for a tree actually. That is what all the ratings will class as a small garden tree relatively small canopy, wonderful mahogany bark, fantastic autumn colour as well. But then once those um, actual uh, leaflets have gone and those leaf centre ribs as well, these berries are just cracking. I think they're lovely. And because they're that pink, they aren't instantly appealing to the birds. They'll go for the reds, the oranges, the yellows, then they'll go for pinks and purples and whites at a later date. So for me, it's a lovely tree. And there are lots of rowans to choose from. I know I've got quite a few at, at his place, but this is one that I've always been really a great fan of just for its its habit and its performance as well. So beautiful. A friend of mine, Annie, had one at her gate outside, uh, just at the end of her drive at a house in Burg Apton where she used to live, and it had the most amazing plum-coloured berries on it. Oh! And I said to her one day when, when I was there, I said, "Well, what is the name of this, Annie?" And she said, "Well, it's just a seedling I dug up in the garden." Ah, lovely. And so it just goes to show, you know, that, that I'm I'm always banging on about grow a few plants from seed because you don't know what you're going to get. But really and truthfully, you can get something amazing. Um, and if you grow a selection of plants like sorbus um, or the, the mountain ashes, I mean, you could get berries, coloured berries, and it is absolutely lovely. And Ian's absolutely right. They go for the red ones first. <laughs> it amazes me, though, you know, because the, the trees ranging up to sort of seven or even nine metres for some sorbus, but you go right down to something like sorbus reductor, which is that lovely yes. little sort of scrubby alpine thing, which is a lovely little plant, though, has perfect uh, leaves flowers and berries but only grows to about sort of a foot 18 inches tops in height so it's a real whole range a gamete of sizes in between it's lovely ian could yeah. you be starting a new fashion or reviving an old one for something called a rockery, uh, <laughs> what, a rockery now? What, what should we call it today because i mean crazy paving has become alternative paving <laughs> You know, to bring it into the 21st century, what should we call a rockery? 
I don't know. They're like, like mini landscapes, aren't they? It's got to be something like that. If we had aquascaping for aquariums, can we have alpine scaping or something like that? Oh, yeah. Very nice. <laughs> I think that sounds quite good, actually. Alpine scaping. I like it. Yes. I like it. <laughs> well, I'm a sucker. Whatever we call them, rockeries or alpine scapes. I think, um, <laughs> count me in. If I had space, I'd definitely have a little rockery, particularly at Botanic Gardens. I spent ages sort of pouring over the rockery areas. They're fascinating. I'll tell you one of the most marvellous things is if you go to, um, I mean, I m remember going to the um, uh, the garden in uh, the RHS garden in Devon, uh, Rosemore, and they have a superb rockery there. But I mean, it's it's a rockery beyond scale. I mean, you know, you're standing at the bottom and you're looking at rocks 20 feet, 30 feet tall, and there's water tumbling down through it and everything else. So our idea of a rockery plant is probably something really quite small, but their idea of a rockery plant is something quite large. <laughs> and it fits in the scale of the landscape. And that was, that was absolutely marvellous. I did envy them the, 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 the cast, little cascades and the streams and all the rest of it that was going through this wonderful rockery. And of course, the ferns down in Devon that we grow in the east of England, they are three times as big because they have 60, uh, 60 inches of rain a year. Well, don't you think, seeing as your fruit cage is palatial and your walled garden is quite sizable and pretty much everything done at East Ruston Old Vicarage is done on a slightly larger scale than normal, you should have a pretty epic alpine scape, I think. No, I don't want one <laughs> because, it would, no, because I, I think there comes a time when you have to garden with what you've got and that would be going against everything that we haven't got to get that kind of rock garden um, in place because, you know, it's just too much of a, a change in the landscape that we have. We're on a relatively flat site and to suddenly install huge, install huge rocks and uh, ravines and valleys and all that kind of thing would be slightly silly, I think, and it wouldn't go with the, the surrounding landscape. So maybe I'll just do um, a kind of um, alpine, some, what do we call it? Alpine scape. Alpine scape, I could do it on the flat. Yes. Or gently undulating. <laughs> yeah, but you also do that really well in troughs, don't you? Because yeah. you put wonderful little bits, you put wonderful blocks of tooth and other things in. They always remind me of something you would see in a, um, you know, like almost a bonsai growing out of them, a, a scene from a, yeah. almost like a Japanese garden. And for me, then those bits of tooth uh, then become these huge mountain ranges that run their way yeah. through your alpine troughs. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. It's like the gardening version of um, doll's houses or something. <laughs> yeah. Right, Ian, what's up next? Two more things. A lovely um, ligustrum, which I picked up from Great Dixter many, many years ago when I went to their, their plant fair. And they have it listed in its ligustrum, one called Lemon and Lime Tea Clipper, which I think is just a brilliant name. I, I absolutely love it. Um, and it's been in a, a sunny border at Mum and Dad's place for about oh, 10 years now. Uh, and I finally gave it a prune uh, yesterday when I was around there doing some bits. And it was only about six feet in 10 years, which is absolutely lovely. And what you can see is, I love the habit of it for starters, that lovely almost herringbone look, a bit like you get with um, Cotoneaster horizontalis. Um, good green foliage at the base, but all the new growth comes out that lovely, lovely yellow with flecks of green and a bit of pink in there as well. And it really is just a lovely plant, which will keep 95% of its leaf through the winter as well, which is really good. Now, that other 5% gets lost if we get a really, really cold winter, it will suddenly just shed a bit, but 95% is kept. And I just think it's just a lovely foliage thing. And I've combined it in the border with my final show and tell, which is a plant here called Lophomertus, which I don't know if many people grow. Al's 
got it, I think, in the New Zealand garden at his, but it's a plant called Lophomertus ralphii, and the cultivar is Catherine, and it's got this wonderful, rich, plummy, coloured leaf to it. And I've got these two together in that bed, and I think that contrast of that sort of plummy aubergine colour with the yellow, I just love it, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I do. I can see you put the two together, and it's rather obvious that they're going to make a fantastic pairing. I've got uh, Ligustrum lemon and lime, and, and um, I had it planted in a little bit of a shady area and of course it did it was very lime and not very lemon mm. shall we say so it's more green than, than yellow and uh and then Fiona came around Fiona Black a friend of mine she wanted some foliage for something or other and I said well, cut this down I'll move it or something because it's not doing what it should do so I cut it very hard back two years ago um and this year it has grown enormously and it's now getting its branches into the sun and we're getting the lovely golden highlights on the top which is what it should have it's just lovely isn't it a really good doer i mean you know it's, it's a really good thing there's a whole range of good ligustrums the shape and form of the leaf is not like an ordinary privet no i mean ligustrums are privets aren't they and i mean this is not like an ordinary privet it's more like a, probably a pittosporum in the leaf because the leaves are slightly undulating they're much smaller much daintier and the 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 branches almost have a wishbone effect on them, if you see what I mean. Yeah, they are really good. There's a good range of ligustrums, isn't there? There's ligustrum lucidum, uh, is it uh, yeah. tricolor that you grow in and you coppice back every few yeah. years? That's really lovely, isn't it? Yeah, and the other one that I quite like was one that Christopher Lloyd used to used to grow, which is called kihui. Oh, yes, that's a nice <laughs> one. Kihui, kihui <laughs> has typical privet flowers. I mean, much like a, a small lilac, but in kihui, they're much, much bigger and they're cream. And they flower in July. And that's a time when lots of shrubs have finished. They're not, you don't get that many um, shrubs that flower from midsummer onwards, do you? No, it's a good, a good time of year to get some extra colour. But yeah, this Lophomertus, if you haven't got it, well worth growing. Um, evergreen or ever purple, I should say. And it's survived uh, very, very cold winters. And I think it clipped quite well if you wanted to. So I think it clipped quite nicely. But I just, I just love it. It's a cracking thing. And that's me show and tell for today. So not a lot, but just a, a few good bits that are, Putting that transition between autumn into winter, because when we get into winter, it gets even more exciting. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's it's interesting because Alan was talking about the lemon and lime and the difference with being in the sun with that plant. Is it sort of purpley coloured foliage affected if you were to put it more in the shade or the sun? Yeah, a lot of those pigments will be affected by, by light levels. So it's quite important they get the full sun in order to produce the I think it would be would it be the carotenoids. Yeah, probably carotenoids, which will help do that as well. But there are certain hormones in and chemicals in, which are always in the leaf anyway. Um, but if you have them in a shady spot, then the chlorophyll tends to come to the front. So they go green because the plant pushes the chlorophyll further forward so it can obviously absorb the maximum amount of light. And then when it's in sunlight, that gets recessed and those other pigments come through. But yeah, it's really important. As I said with the tea clipper, really important. The same with the lophomertus as well. That makes so much sense. No one's explained it to me like that. Thank you, Ian. Um, okay. Also, you said that, you know, winter is very exciting. Um, one of the reasons it's exciting is because it's going to be Christmas. Great. And we thought we would do a nod to that by discussing some of our ideas for Christmas presents, particularly if you were looking for something a bit different or something on a budget. It's not necessarily been the best year for many of us financially. So with that in mind, what did you two want to bring to the table? for Christmas ideas? Well, I, I think uh, an awful lot of us, because we've had shutdown and we, we don't know yet quite um, 
how much time we're going to have um, or want, or even if we want to go out and do shopping and things. So I think an awful lot of our shopping is going to be done online this year, perhaps. Um, and I mean, my, my shopping list is everything that you can buy online, really. Um, but I, I just run, do you want me to run through or just do one? Do one in case you steal all of Ian's ideas. Okay. Yeah, yeah very um, good point. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I want to tell you something. I, I, the, the perils of buying online um, are several. And sometimes, unless you check the size of something, you don't quite know what you're going to get. Now, I went on a wonderful site that Ian loves. Um, they specialize in Japanese hand tools and pruning things and all the rest of it. And I bought this brush. In actual fact, I bought three of them because I thought they were going to be able to, I was going to be able, you got it as well. <laughs> I don't believe this. I thought I was going to be able to use this to brush the cinders in the hearth. I thought see. that as well. <laughs> around it here and it's got four little tufts on it and it's got that lovely slanting shape and it's absolutely beautiful but I don't know what to use it for oh hold on yes it is <laughs> oh yeah brilliant idea <laughs> so essentially something that online would look like it's a big witch's broom type brush is actually yeah. about the size of your hand <laughs> well I don't know what I can't think what they do can you remember what the suggested use for this is it? I think it was for cleaning down sort of pot rims and things and brushing down yeah, little hand yeah. tools and things afterwards. But yeah, yeah, I think it's quite a nice thing though, because it's made from trachycarpus, isn't it? It is, yes. So I mean, we, oh, we yes. liked it because of that, didn't we? And we're, we're, we know we do love anything, we like magpies for stuff like this, aren't we? Al? <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid so. <laughs> it's a, I've got one of those, so have I. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to presents. Um, I'm going to start off by saying vouchers for plants because, um, you know, if you give somebody a voucher, they can then buy what they want with it. But I mean, if you go to a garden centre or you get in touch with a garden centre and say, I want to spend X amount for, for, to give as a Christmas present to somebody, um, just imagine the fun they can have going in and they're going to get everything they're going to get is free because you've given them the money and they can go to the garden centre and they can buy tools or they can buy plants or they can buy seeds. Um, and I think that's quite important, actually, because um, there's been a huge resurgence in people um, just attending to their gardens, whether they're doing it just for the, the joy of it or to relieve stress or to get them outside or to get some exercise or whatever it is. Um, and it's, it's a wonderful thing to do. And I think, you know, that's a, so my first thing is going to be a voucher, a plant voucher. Nice. <laughs> Never mind a voucher. <laughs> I like that. So that's one down from Alan. Ian, what would you like yeah. to suggest? Well, I mean, uh, this comes from the same company that we got the small brushes from, but this is something I invested in ooh, um, about four, four years ago. And it's a little thing called a cream mate. Uh, and it does come from Japan and it's a sort of silicon resin mineral block, which you put, well, you Camellia oil is really the best thing you should put on, but but any sort of even three and one will work. And I use this for cleaning all the grime and muck off my secateurs. Now I've got quite a few secateurs because it's not just me working in gardens; it's quite a few of us. And if I did count up, there's 
a shocking amount of pairs and I'm notoriously bad for not being able to find them. And I go, oh, I'm so fed up with this. I just go and buy more, which is really terrible, I know. But then the old ones turn up. So I've got quite a lot. But this cream, mate, is great. A little bit of oil on there. Uh, it's a little block. It's like an eraser, like a you know, rubber type thing you'd use for you know, pencil work. But it's brilliant. And it gets in all the nooks and crannies. It gets all the grime off the blades. I've had second surgery. I thought... There's not, not worth anything doing with those. And I've used this on them and they come up like brand new. It actually puts the shine back on them. And it's available from uh, the same people we get the little brushes from, which I'm going to say, which is, you know, which is Nuwaki. I do use Jake for a lot of stuff and it is absolutely brilliant. Really good. And I, and I wouldn't be without it, the cream, mate. Very little, a good investment for any gardener that's got nice secateurs, knives, shears, Can that sort of it? thing. Sorry? Cream. C-R-E-A-N. Oh, cream. C-R-E-A-N. I thought it was cream, mate. <laughs> No, no, don't be silly. No, <laughs> really good though. Really good. That is brilliant. Um, mm. To go back to Alan's idea of getting people plants um, and this idea of people growing things from seed, I thought giving seeds as a present is a, is always mm. a great idea. Um, and I'm sure you both would suggest probably more exciting things than I. But if you were going for a real budget way to get some interesting things and you pop onto the Chilton website, I can't remember exactly what they call it, but it's something like their kind of mystery bundle, something like that. And you get the end of season, it sounds a bit rubbish, the end of season leftovers, but they take, because they like to sell, you know, fresh seed, they take what they haven't sold and they bundle them up into little mystery bundles and they cost something like four pounds for 10 packs of seed, which if you're on a real budget and you want to be able to give 10 packs of seed, that could easily cost you 25 pounds. So this is a way of getting a really nice mix of things. And the, I bought one of these last year and ended up with, a pack of seed for the strawberry tree for um a wonderful little alonzoa that i've grown and loved this year and i wouldn't have grown it if i hadn't got it in the little mystery bundle so it's a great way of actually buying i've got a great antirrhinum in there mm -hmm. apple blossom a great way of getting hold of some things you might not have thought of trying if you want to buy yourself a present but actually it's a good way of getting hold of quite a lot of of nice packaged up seed from a really reputable company but for not very much money so i wanted to put that out there because i really i really enjoyed my little mystery bundle when i bought it and i think that the thing that you touched on there is the fact that <clears throat> mystery bundles even even if you don't buy them from you know as a mystery bundle but if you're buying seeds for somebody Bung in a packet of something that you know they don't grow. Yes. Because that's the fun of, 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 sort of getting to try something new. They might not like it, but they just might. I've done that in the past for vegetable seeds and things as well. Is that some of the seed merchants, because they've got quite a lot of history, they do these wonderful little tins, lovely sort of vintage styled metal tins, and you get maybe 20 odd packets in there. And that's a lovely thing to do for somebody because you get a really good range of seed uh, and also you get a really nice vintage tin. And, Every gardener in a shed needs tins because you've always got not only to keep seed in them, but it might be string, it might be plant labels, all those little bits and pieces. And it's just a, a nice little thing to have. I tell you what, tins are ideal for, for, for keeping small things in that the either go rusty or get damp or something like that. Because if you're in a greenhouse or the potting shed, the atmosphere, the air in there is invariably damp because it's got potting soil in it and it's got all the things, you know, that that we have in there, but I mean, it's an ideal, it's an ideal place for putting, I mean, I've got a, a machine, you've got one, Thordis, because I gave it to you, that does stapling. Well, you know, it stops the staples from going rusty and that sort of thing. And you can always lay your hands on them too. <laughs> 
Um, the idea actually of somebody giving me a, a kit they'd made of like little envelopes. Uh, I bought Alan some. They're actually, I think they're like lunch money envelopes or something, but um, they're perfect Ooh. for storing seeds in. But somebody just giving me an old biscuit tin with some little envelopes in and some plant labels and a good pencil to write on the plant labels. Ball of string. Ball of string. All of those little things in a little tin would be a really thoughtful present that I would love. And the other thing I think is very nice is short pencils, nice little short stubby pencils, because they, they can always go in a tin and you've always, you, you know, you've got something to write on the labels with. It's lovely. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, yeah, of course, with them um, seeds as well, if you've got some of those little envelopes, I quite like um, the idea of giving some of your home collected seed to your friends, especially if it's something like we were just talking about in your own garden things cross and you don't know what you're going to get i love the idea of being able to pass that home collected seed on yeah that's a great idea actually well i had one yeah <laughs> that doesn't happen uh, very think, often <laughs> but do you know if you get if you get things like you get interesting dahlias might hybridize and you've had a particularly good dahlia or something you know not necessarily going to get that same one but if it's been a particularly good plant you think well actually that's quite nice you know envelopes of dahlia seed is fantastic because what are you going to get you know any combination of of colors and foliage and, and structure it's a lovely thing to do yeah cost effective and really thoughtful mm. so mm. Uh, I, I like that alan would you like to add any other christmas presents to the list Oh, I've got several, yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to sort of go for the things that are probably not quite so obvious. And I was just sort of thinking if you've got, I mean, hopefully by the end of the winter and, and the coming season, we'll, we will get to be able to visit gardens and all those sort of things that we, we, we've been severely denied. But of course, gardens are some of the safest places to be outside, and especially if you go to a large botanic garden or whatever. Um, so I'm going to suggest that, and this is really for people that have probably just started to get into gardening. Um, and they're opening their eyes and they're probably seeing plants, they're seeing the way cultivation is done and all the rest of it with much greater clarity than they ever have before. So I would suggest um, get tickets to a garden that's open to the public or, I mean, even a season ticket. If you, if you can run to it, get a season ticket, then they're no phenomenal value because the season ticket means that you can go as often as you like when that garden is open. And if you give that to somebody, they can, you know, just enjoy the whole Bring them into the gardeners, gardening world, if you like. And I think that would be a very nice present. That's one that I would love, actually. Great way of supporting that garden as well. Yeah. Yes, it is. So to your present list, Ian, what have you got next? Well, you know, I love books. I mean, I really do love books. I've had to get rid of some over the years, but I, I do love books. And two books that I return to time and time again are... Um, I think great additions for Christmases. One is the really new updated version of Plant Name Simplified, which is a book which I had when I was at college 20 or more years ago. And it's it's been redone and it really is a great go-to book because it tells you all the origins of the plant names and where they come from in terms of their meanings, in terms of whether it's Greek or Latin, it tells you about their species. And it's something which I always love to delve into with a plant. And I think particularly if you're new to gardening as well, new to gardening or horticulture as a career, I think it's really important to get to know those plants, the genus, the species, the cultivar. And then when you get in your psyche a bit about what those key sort of um, particularly species and um, cultivars are, it really helps you understand more about the plants themselves. This is one that I go to time and time again. And I'm a sucker for an old garden because you know, uh, and one book which I read about 20 years ago and keep rereading is We Made a Garden by Marjorie Fish. Now, I don't think people would say, well, it's a book that's been out for years. How is that still relevant? Well. 
it's relevant because of the processes that they go through in order to create the garden, all that's still relevant in terms of aspects, soil, the slight disagreements they have over which plants are going to be best and whether too much money's been spent on the garden, but, but generally about the way plants work and, and the way they're put together. And it, this is an old black and white copy, but I return to it time and time again. I think you'll agree, Al, it's a, it's a cracking read. It really is good for, for new gardeners. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And it's not just for gardeners either, because it has a kind of autobiographical feel about it. Because, I mean, Marjorie Fish, um, she was a secretary to somebody called Walter, who she eventually married. Um, and so then they didn't get married until their later years, shall we say. And when they moved in together down in Somerset, I think it was, um, where her garden was, um, <laughs> they constantly fought like cat and dog because he loved big blousy dahlias and she hated them. And she was much more of the opinion that she wanted species plants and in her garden. So, I mean, she, there was his bit and her bit really. Um, and there's something that I remember, uh, I've got one of her books and she's there's a photograph of her standing in a doorway of a huge armful of Shizostelis, which is now called Hesperantha, the red flowered form. Um, and she'd obviously cut them and she was going to take them to the church or to her house or whatever, into her house or whatever. Um, and I just think, you know, that, that it's so evocative. The days of knocking on somebody's door if you saw a plant when you were walking through a village that you liked and you said, could I have a piece of that, please? And they'd either tell you to off or, or they would say, Yes, of course. Do you have a trial? Well, I happen to have one about me in my reticule, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it just brings back not that lovely sort of feeling of nostalgia in the days of, of um, I don't know, it's, it, it, it was, um, it's just a lovely, it gives you a warm feeling, I think, um, of the way people used to live. You just reminded me of a time um, somebody did that with my parents. We were in the front garden, my mum and I, and uh, someone went past. And said, oh, that's a lovely verbascum. Would you mind if I uh, if I took a root cutting? And then the, the process of them sort of trying to dig a part of our our plant out of the garden was slightly traumatic, but it was still nice that that we could kind yes. of offer offer them yeah. a bit of verbascum root. Nice no idea take. whether it took. But I was thinking, you know, a little bundle of old secondhand gardening books would be a lovely gift for somebody. If you knew they're a really keen gardener, there's a lot of great shops about and particularly when things get back a bit to normal and bookshops and charity shops. You know, just three or four little books. I was thinking, you know, a bit of old twine, just tie them up, a bit of brown paper, really simple. But that would be a lovely thing because there's so much relevant information, and good tips in, in these old tomes, even though techniques are changing. Some of the old stuff, there's that stuff that never changes that every gardener needs to know. And I think you get that from these, these old material. And also you get it occasionally in a new book because there is a new book out by somebody called Tamsin Westhorpe. Um, she, she gardens in Herefordshire. She used to be editor of the English Garden. And um, she works full time in this garden that's been in her family for a hundred years. And it's, it, I've just started reading it. Graham, it Gra Graham read a review of it the other day and thought it sounded really good on, in the review. He thought that I'd like it, so he, he bought, bought it for me and I've just started reading it. And it is very much like, well, it's a hands-on gardener in a country garden that talks you through the way you do things and, you know, even if she says, you know, in hot days, I'm out there in winter in February and I've got every piece of garment on, I can hardly bend over because I've got so many layers. <laughs> and yet, you know, out in July, I've got nothing on but a bra on my top, uh, on top and a pair of shorts. <laughs> it's, but it's, it's, it's just encompassing of how you, how you actually manage a garden. It, you know, for instance, for instance, something like, uh, 
I've got to do this, Ian, because she talks about in February of cutting down coppicing hazel um, and using the hazels for sweet peas and, you know, propping up plants and supports and all the rest of it. And I mean, you, you know the garden at East Rustin, and you know that we've got hazels galore that could probably do with a bit of a coppicing. So I yeah, think I feel a coppicing coming on. Good, good. <laughs> I think that's lovely. I, I, I like any book that's sort of a, a, a gardener's year. If I could read a book by Fergus Garrett, just writing about sort of weekly things they do at, at Great Dixter or, you know, any of the large well-known gardens, I think that's a lovely thing just to follow that gardening year through and never get bored of it because although everything's cyclical and some things are the same, um, every garden is slightly different in the way they do things. Like at Allen's this time of year, we're lifting out exotics and, you know, tender bananas and tibichinas and, you know, maybe another garden, they might just be cutting back dahlias or starting to get the borders mulched so every garden has their slightly different quirks and I think that's really really good and every gardener has the different quirks as well like Tamsin mm. mentioned cutting down hazels and I mean I know all about that but I've completely I'd forgotten about it and didn't, I, it, we don't do it so I don't didn't think about it but now I've thought about it and I'm going to do it so you know it's worth it for all those little gems that you pick out lovely well, because actually, you know, talk about, about hazel, all the basil stuff that's really too thick will make fantastic steaks for using through dahlia borders, for example. And all the, the whippy, twiggy stuff at the top can be used for rows for peas in the veg garden. And the, the rods in between can be used for frames for sweet peas or wigwams for climbing beans. So it's such a versatile thing, isn't it? Exactly. And it looks good and it's natural. <laughs> also, yeah. if you're looking for, for inspiration and just that kind of eye candy you can get some wonderful books that are full of great plants I know I, I can't remember the title of it but I used to have a book that was all members of the gardener's question time panel and then their kind of must-have plants all assembled into one book obviously there are plenty of plant encyclopedias and just to be able to leaf through and look at these plants particularly if it's something where people have put their personal opinion on it basically like this podcast in a book people talking about the plants they love and why they like them and why they think you should grow them um that's always fun on a, a horrible winter evening to be able to sit there and dream about what you can put in your garden when the weather's nice yeah lovely really nice super any more christmas ideas well, I said to Ian the other day, he said to me, what would you like for Christmas? Um, and I said, yes, I have come up with an idea. And again, it's back to Niwaki and Jake Hobson, I'm afraid, because there, there's a wonderful tool called a hori. Is it a hori hori? Hori hori, yeah. Or hori hori. hori. Yeah. And it, it is a wonderful tool. Now, this is a, the kind of tool that I, I think you probably have to be careful with because it's, it looks vicious. It's like a thick knife. And it's got serrations down one edge. It comes with a holster. You keep it on your on your hip. Um, but it is one of those multi multi multifarious tools that you can use for so many different things. And I mean, Ian very kindly bought ground one, and he uses it in the desert for rooting out in between um, the spiky old agaves. And I just thought mm, that looks rather interesting. I think I could do with one of those as well. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, good garden tools are, um, are quite something. I remember. Thunder, you and I were at the Chelsea Flower Show some time ago, and we went past a wonderful tool manufacturer from Holland called Schneebor. And the man, I can't remember his name, who yeah, Ian loves him, look. And, <laughs> and, the man, and the man from Schneebor, he actually said to us, talking about his tools, he said, I'll guarantee them for 100 years. And I said to him, how the hell can you do that? He said, I don't care because I'm not going to be here, am I? <laughs> Best but, stuff is I mean, 
and that I think I think in actual fact you could almost say yes they would be good for 100 years because they have such superb quality now I'm going to tell you something else they are expensive so if you want to buy a present for somebody who's very special in your life I mean you know Schneeber tools is the way to go but I mean they are superb tools they use them at Great Dixter they have a shop shop uh, of them at Great Dixter in uh, in Sussex um, so I mean that says it all if they're good enough for them they're good enough for any gardener anywhere Wow. Just someone you love a lot. Yes. Any more for any more before we do some flomo? Can I just quickly do one? Yeah. It's just, it's just simply, it's a good knife, a good gardening knife. Oh, yeah. never be sneezed at. And um, I do like the Opinal knives, come in a huge range of colours as well, so you don't have to lose them. But a good knife, I use this for cuttings, I use it for string, I use it for slicing. If I want to just, you know, whip dead heads off roses, if I'm nipping around somewhere it's quite good with it with a good tough thumb I can just nip rose heads off if I need to it's a really good thing and it's just a handy thing to have in your pocket opening bags of compost it, it's inevitable but I know it's a, a bit of like oh everyone's got a good knife but a good gardening <laughs> knife like this well made will last you a lifetime a brilliant thing to have and something else I just gonna you just reminded me of Ian is that, that is <laughs> secondhand tools because quite often you'll buy um secondhand tools there you are and here's one I had earlier, the secondhand <laughs> tools, and probably, dare I say, slightly better made than they are than they yeah. today. Yeah, yeah, um, look at them. Yeah. You see, I mean, they really are quite lovely. <clears throat> but one thing I discovered uh, this summer um, was we have a, uh, uh, Andrew and Christine who come to the garden and they, they restore old tools and they put them up for sale in our garden and they have a little stand there with them on. And there was something I thought, well, that would make a marvellous tamp. You know, when you're filling a seed box with uh, with compost and you want to level it down, tamp it down. And it was a plasterous float. You know, you could get a wooden float, you just plaster, you know, swing the plaster about on the wall, but you can actually use it for tamping down um, yeah. the compost in a seed tray. And the great thing was, it was as cheap as chips. Mm. <laughs> actually... Yeah, I I mean, you love um, old tools. I know you also love um, old pots. I think if you can have any old terracotta pots and you don't like them, I think good old terracotta pots. I got given these. Just look how delightful they look, though. Look. Yeah, I got given, get, given these by someone who just doesn't like them. So if you have got old terracotta pots and they're not to your liking, the, the chances are someone you know will, uh, will want them. <laughs> That's Nordish so, for you, by yeah. the way. <laughs> to me. I was thinking... I was thinking as well when I said about old tools, I read an article about, you know, sort of buying old tools and things and not once did they mention about the quality. They went, oh, it harks back to a beautiful time of gardening and, you know, it's nice to use old things. Not once did they hark back to the fact that the quality of these is, will surpass anything else you get. And for a good, a good trowel like this, which is skeleton, nice, good old variety, this was £10 and I don't think that's an expensive gift at all for the good gardener in your life and it's a lovely thing it's a lovely thing to have and it'll just get better with age it really will much like your good self <laughs> ah thank you dear boy how many tools do you think you have ian of the vintage variety not as many as alan that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> <laughs> but a lot i have got a shipping container that's got quite a lot in um but, you know i mean if i've if i've if i've got them and i'm looking after them they're not going to get Rusty and rotty and, and move out of the way. Oh, hello, Gigi. <laughs> oh, hello, Gigi. Gigi, the gorgeous spaniel, has come to join <laughs> proceedings. 
Hello. Hello. Sleepy puppies who've been out playing in the garden. She's just woken up. <laughs> um, right. So let's do some FOMO. So any plant that you're having a bit of FOMO about, something you've seen and you just wish you were growing and it's heading to the top of your gardening wish list. Mine was inspired by Mr. Alan Gray, who posted well, what do you know? to possibly his Twitter or his Instagram, um, an amazing bit of autumn colour, a plant that was just ablaze with fiery foliage. And I immediately screenshot it and sent it to him and said, what is this? I yeah. need this. And it was Acer October Glory, I think I'm right in saying. You are right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it may be German because it, it October is spelled O-K-T-O-B-E-R. And the funny thing is that although it's called October Glory, it is really a November Glory because it doesn't colour up until mid-November. And this year it's, it's a little bit later than it is normally, I think. But it is a superb plant, but it's a big plant. Yeah. Uh, one, plant. one for my future garden, perhaps. Well, I think when you get your rolling country estate, you'll be able to have one <laughs> or seven. <laughs> but yeah it was a real it's a real showstopper I mean obviously there's plenty of plants like that at East Rustonell Vicarage but I just saw that fly by on social media and thought wow put that on the list <laughs> well going back to something that Ian said earlier um about autumn color and things the, the strange thing is you wait days and days and days for this autumn color to appear but you must enjoy it while it's there because it is fleeting yeah. because if we suddenly get a wind or a sharp frost all those leaves will drop um, and it's gone. So enjoy it while it's there. Yeah, we're just now getting to that slightly more skeletal stage of the season where the leaves are blowing away and we're getting a bit more bleak. And, uh, well, you've and noticed I've lost weight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about the only person on this podcast who hasn't. <laughs> Very annoying. Uh, moving on, Ian, what's your flomo? Uh, mine's a tree actually as well and it's uh, really odd it's um, a birch that I was reading an article in I think an old plantsman or somewhere like that and it's um, a birch called bowling green and there's a lot of good birch cultivars I know and we all know Jack Montiai but this birch bowling green has the most wonderful rich red mahogany roofer bark on it and there was just something about it. all the new growth all the new sort of younger stems are almost sort of like peach and apricot and then as it ages, it gets this wonderful rich. And I may have actually seen it as well at Allen's at some point. Graham Mel may well be growing it out at Allen's somewhere. But I just saw it in this um, article and it was glowing and it was just lovely. And, and I, I'm a big fan of birches anyway. And one which is still on my wish list that I haven't got is Betula alba sinensis septentrionalis, which I saw in the winter garden at Cambridge Botanics against a, actually a finely clipped Lelandii hedge, dark green Lelandii hedge but not knowing much about winter plants when I was first starting out in horticulture when I was a young student to get taken to this garden and everything was planted for winter when I was a student winter was the time the garden got put <laughs> to bed but no at Cambridge Botanics and other places now winter is another fantastic season where everything just looks at the colour of stems of flowers of daphnes but these birch just really shone out to me so uh, i've still got that septentrionalis on the list to get but bowling green that's also on the list now i think the very interesting thing about winter gardens is that you can have a winter garden if your garden is big enough or if you're just living in your house during the winter for instance i mean some people do that they live one side of the world and then the other side of the world in different seasons but if you've got one area where you can concentrate all that winter i mean think evergreen leaves we'll talk about various colored barks various colored berries, 
And we can slightly go over and in and out of the season as late autumn to early spring, if you like. Um, and you to think about the colours of hamamelis flowers and things like that. Um, Underplantings of winter flowering, uh, little early flowering things um, like cyclamen and various other plants as well. Um, it, it is absolutely stunning, but you, I'm not saying you want it all the while, but actually I think it's well worth a look, people going to visit. I mean, for instance, Cambridge Botanic Garden has the most fantastic winter garden. Anglesey Abbey has a winter walk, I know, which mm. they um, open in, in uh, snowdrop time. And it is a lovely thing to actually go and see. My Flomo is, well, a large shrub or a small tree. <laughs> <laughs> It's all just very tree-tastic today. <laughs> well, yeah, just to keep in the flow of things. But it is something I saw on a... Um, somebody very kindly to, today or yesterday sent me an email um, saying they'd read a newspaper article that I'd written and there was a wish list uh, in there. And she said, oh, perhaps you might like to go to this nursery because they have the kind of things that you like. And whilst looking at this nursery this morning, I found Daphne Bolua, Mary Rose. Oh, yes, no. You know it. I heard of it last year and was tracking it down, trying to find it for you. But <laughs> didn't have much luck. And then the season moved on and of course it went, oh, but yes, no, you, that's a lovely thing. Yeah, Daphne Balua, Mary Rose. Well, let's take Daphne Balua for a start. Daphne Balua is one of those wonderful plants that, was, that came to us from the Himalayas or the Himalayas. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, it's a winter flowering shrub, as um, Daphne Balua. There's several name forms, um, but they start flowering around about Christmas time, sometimes a little bit before, go right the way through until March, even into April. And they have this wonderful little four petal flowers held in bunches that open and, and emit the most fantastic, great gusts of scent. Um, in actual fact, in, we've got several different varieties. Neem was planting them around the, um, around the house the other day. So that, I mean, Hopefully, in, in a couple of years' time, our whole garden around the house, fingers crossed, will, <laughs> will be enveloped in this cloud of perfume. But back to my um, Flomo, Daphne Balua Mary Rose is, has exceptionally dark pinky purple flowers. Now, normally these are sort of kind of wishy-washy pinky flowers, um, although there is several, there are several that are white flowered, which I think are rather nice as well, which we have several of. Um, in the garden. Some of them we grew from seed in actual fact and they were completely accidental which is another good reason for growing plants from seed because you don't know what you're going to get. Um, but Mary Rose is a lovely dark form and I have tracked it down and I just hope that, I mean they're not inexpensive, in actual fact they're damned expensive. <laughs> but you know if you want them and you can afford them then you've got to pay for them. They're rare wow. things. What a wonderful Beautiful. thing. Well, it looks like, Ian, you unfortunately won't be able to buy that for Alan now. He's pipped you to no, the post. that's fine. That's OK. <laughs> um, it's funny, actually, you were mentioning um, Anglesey Abbey. I was literally just walking the dog outside Anglesey Abbey about oh. an hour ago. Really? Yes. How far are you? How far are you? Very close. Oh, right. I did. I mean, I had to drive there to walk the dog. So I'm, it's not yeah, like yeah. outside my window, but it's um, yeah. And it was very busy. I didn't get to go in because they, they are not dog friendly. That's worth knowing. If you want to take your dog, your dog will have to stay in the car. But it is yeah. wonderful. I've been there um, at wintertime and it is it's wonderful, as is the botanics, as you mentioned, um, which is also not very far from me, the Cambridge University Botanic Garden. And also talking about winter interest, I seem to remember us recording a bit of a series on this a few years ago. So if people search the Get Gardening YouTube channel, I think we've got Barking Mad and Berry Berry Nice, maybe. Um, Ian peering from behind a clipped you talking about 
getting naked in winter. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so you could go and check those out. It, while you're locked down and probably unable to visit as many gardens as you'd like, you can maybe look for a bit of inspiration there. Good idea. Lovely stuff. I think, I think with all of that show and tell and Christmas presents and FLOMO, we have wound up this week's edition of the podcast. And I think the puppies are waking up, aren't they, Alan? Oh, they are, yeah. <laughs> Following her walk nearby Anglesey, my dog is completely sprawled out on the sofa. So she's out for the count for the rest of the night, I think. Thank nice. you, you lovely fellas. Thanks, guys. Hey, Fordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time. <laughs>